in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, a message I call Whatever We Ask. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. Do for us whatever we ask. This was a pivotal time, of course, when Jesus was leading the disciples up to Jerusalem. They had a journey, they were on a journey, and this one had a specific destination. They were headed to a hill and to a cross. Jesus was making that very, very plain to them. And in a way, I think we can identify with that. We've all been on journeys after all, and we live in a way. Our life is a journey. We understand that. Uh, we know what it's like to try to pack up. Uh, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, you know, I remember uh, for some whatever reason, every journey we ever took, my dad was convinced, had to begin at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I have done my best to continue that family tradition, or at least better it some. Uh, it seemed like we were packing up everything that we owned. Imagine what it was like for Nancy and I, packing up our five kids headed somewhere. I mean, it was an exciting time, everybody packing up, getting everything together, wondering where we were going to put it. Every dad becomes an expert in packing sooner or later. Man, we can pack a lot of stuff in cars, can't we? I mean, it can happen. All the excitement and enthusiasm of a journey. But this one was something that uh, was a very unusual journey. And we'll see more about that in a moment. The context of the chapter is filled, interestingly enough, with people who were coming to Jesus. It started out with the Pharisees. They had a big question for Jesus. The question about marriage and divorce. That was a big question then and... It's still a big question today. Uh, and so they were asking that question. They wanted to ask about that. It wasn't long then until Jesus was dealing with the rich young ruler who came to him with that great question. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus explained to him the law and the young man made his boast. All these things I have done since my youth up and and it was that story, in fact, that prompted a passage I referenced this morning in our message where uh, Simon Peter would say to Jesus, Lord, we've left all and followed you. Because you see, Jesus would talk in that passage about how difficult it is for a wealthy man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples, Lord, who then shall be saved? And it was a puzzling time. A lot of questions being brought to Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Somewhere along the line then, they started this journey. What a pivotal time it was. Last week of Jesus was beginning and 
looming ahead of them. The passage tells us something strange. It says, as they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed, and then they were afraid. They were amazed, and they were afraid. I've puzzled over that for a long time. These were 12 grown men. They had been with Jesus a lot. It wasn't like they had been without him. He had gone up on the mountain to pray a few times. He sent him across the mountain uh, a time or two. He uh, sent them out on the, uh, a journey across the Sea of Galilee. And it didn't always turn out right, but it ended up good in the end. And, you know, they had been without Jesus before. But something was happening here. I'm not sure what it was. Jesus was out in front of him. They tried to follow him, and they were afraid. Maybe they couldn't catch up. Maybe Jesus was making sure that they didn't catch up. Maybe he was giving them an object lesson about what was already going on and what was about to happen, getting them ready for a message they very much needed to hear. Maybe they thought he was going to get lost in the crowd. I, I don't know. But they were amazed and they were afraid. And then Jesus brings them aside and starts talking to them about what's going to happen. Addressing that sense of confusion they had because there was distance between them and Jesus. They had walked with him. They were his followers, but now there was distance between them and Jesus that left them amazed and afraid. Sometimes that happens to us, doesn't it? We feel a strange sense of distance sometimes that develops between us and the Lord. That closest of all relationships, because Jesus, you see, lives in us and we are in him. That makes this the closest relationship of all. He knows everything about us. He knows what we think about. He knows what our deepest desires are. He knows the longings and intents of our heart. He knows not only what we do, but what we want to do. He, he knows us. We have such a close relationship with him. Sometimes there develops a distance between us and Jesus. And it leaves us kind of feeling like the disciples did. Amazed, number one, that such a thing could happen. And afraid. Afraid because we can't seem to close the distance. When we're separated from the Lord, when we're feeling that strange distance from him, it leaves an emptiness, a loneliness, a confusion inside of us, afraid and amazed. We too can end up amazed by how quickly this can happen and we too can end up fearful about what the future is going to hold in the midst of such a situation. But you know what, as we follow the narrative of this passage tonight, we're going to see that things just didn't stay there, that Jesus quickly began to move uh, to teach them something that at that moment in time they desperately needed to know, to tell them exactly what they were going to face in Jerusalem. If there was ever a message they needed to hear and listen intently to, it was this one. We're going to Jerusalem. 
I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priest or to the chief priest and the scribes. They'll condemn me to death, deliver me to the Gentiles, mock me, scourge me, spit on me, kill me. The third day, he will kill me. Kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. And then what happened? James and John. James and John. They were nicknamed the sons of thunder. They were sons of Zebedee. John was the one, of course, who was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the author of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. John. John. And James. His brother, who was he? Just, uh, uh, just uh, the, one of the martyrs of the New Testament. I mean, one of the apostles. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. They're all over the ministry of Jesus. James and John. Not Peter, James, John. <laughs> I think that's rather an interesting detail. Not Peter, James, and John in this passage. James and John. After Jesus was there telling them, pouring out his heart to them about what was about to happen. Then they came to him, the sons of Zebedee, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. How did Jesus respond? Well, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Let me interrupt my sermon here <laughs> to respond to your request. What is it exactly that you want me to do for you? Not that he didn't already know, of course, but he did that a lot in the New Testament. And people called out to him, what do you want? What do you want? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So here was Jesus pouring out his heart about what was about to happen. His glory, by the way, was the cross. And as he looked ahead to what was about to happen, here comes James and John, of all people, with what was on their heart. Instead of listening to that message from Jesus, they were thinking about something all to, else to, altogether. And that is their own position in this coming kingdom. What you see they were thinking about was ugly. shows that there was some pride and ambition there. When we add in what some of the other gospel writers tell us, we know that there was a dispute going on among the disciples. They were basically arguing about who was going to be in charge, who was going to be the greatest, who was going to be in charge when Jesus left, who was going to be the greatest in the coming kingdom. They thought they knew everything about the kingdom. They hadn't figured that out very much yet. Who's going to be the greatest? I think Jesus was giving him an object lesson when he kind of pulled away from them. <laughs> you can't hardly blame him. Uh, when, I tell you, when, when God's people get to arguing among themselves about who's going to be the best, uh, I don't want to be around that crowd either. I don't. None of us do. And certainly Jesus didn't. Maybe, you see, what he was showing them was that there was already some distance between him and them 
in their hearts. Their pride and ambition, you see, was pulling them away. Now, apparently they weren't listening much to what Jesus had to say, but they were listening to someone, and Matthew tells us who that was. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, with her sons, worshiping him, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, on the left in thy kingdom. So her mother, the mother of these boys, was uh, in this mix as well. I don't really think that this was something that just occurred to them on the spur of the moment. I kind of got a feeling this had been a topic of discussion for a while. I want to stop at this point and remind you of something. James and John were two great men of God. Absolutely. John loved Jesus. James would give his life for Jesus. John is an incredible man of God. I believe their mother was a godly woman if she raised two such good boys. I mean, she couldn't be all bad. But let's just face it. If James and John could fall victim to pride and ambition, guess what? It can happen to us too. And their mama wasn't the first and she wasn't the last who let her ambition for her boys or her children get the best of her. Amen or not. It does happen. It's interesting that they threw worship into the mix. Matthew said they approached Jesus in worship. Well, that just sanctifies the whole thing. Well, I know it had to be right. Because there I was at Jesus' feet. We was worshiping him. And I just knew. I just knew that this had to be from God. Lord, let my boys be one on your right hand, one on your left, and the boys affirming the same thing. Yep, Lord, that's just what we want. They weren't the last people who ever decided, well, you know, I I thought of that while I was in church. That had to be God. I want you to know, sometimes we think of things in church because we bring it with us when we come. (laughs) It's already in our hearts. It's already on our minds. It's not really sanctified by the fact that uh, then we bring it up while we're worshiping the Lord. Well, apparently James and John and, and their mama didn't really hear much about what Jesus was saying. But they were hearing from each other. They got a plan and, and uh, that plan came from somewhere. And that's an important truth for us tonight. If we allow distance between us and the Lord, it won't be long before we're not going to be hearing from Him the way we need to hear from Him. We won't be hearing His Word the way we need to hear from Him. And it doesn't mean that we won't be listening to somebody. It just won't be Him. We won't be hearing some voice. It just won't be His. It's not that we won't have some Word. It just won't be His Word 
We'll get our plan for life somewhere. We'll get our philosophy of life somewhere. We'll get our values from somewhere. And if they're not coming from the Lord, ultimately, who do you think they're coming from? And we all know the answer to that one. The problem is, is that the, the alternate to the Lord's word is the devil. And he's a liar and the father of lies. And he wants to destroy us. So it's a, it's a scary thing then when, when pride and ambition distance from the Lord then uh, bring, is, is created by our pride and our ambition maybe. And first thing you know, we're not hearing from God anymore. We may very well then find ourselves just like James and John saying, Lord, do for us whatever we ask. Separated from Jesus, they missed his message and now do for us what we want. Now notice what, how Jesus responded in Mark chapter 10 and verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. I wonder how many times Jesus responds to our prayers in exactly the same way. You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. Now he wasn't talking about water baptism like what we got tonight. Or what we saw tonight. He was talking about being immersed in suffering. That's what he meant. A baptism of suffering. Much like we use the word a baptism of fire. Jesus was about to be baptized. Immersed into suffering. And he says are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to experience. And they said to him yes. Sure. No problem. Wow. So Jesus said to them. Yes, you will. You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. There would come a time for James to drink that cup. There would come a time for John to drink that cup. And they did. But even so, to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for whom it is prepared. Notice it is prepared, not will be prepared. You see, who was going to be on Jesus' left hand and his right hand when he came into his glory, which was the cross, was already settled. Had he granted that request, he would not have died between two thieves. He would have died between two of his closest disciples. You don't know what you're asking for. But they thought they did. I mean, they thought that they were worshiping. My goodness, they were, they were serving. Surely this is right. <laughs> I'm their mama. I gotta be right. I gotta know what's best for my kids. I know it's gotta be right. Oh, Mrs. Zebedee thought she was asking the right thing, thought she knew what her kids needed, thought she was right. She wasn't. And you know, that can happen still today. It can still happen that way. Nancy sometimes watches a show called Dance Moms. You notice I said Nancy watches that. I'm not sure she really watched. She's not here tonight. She's with her mom. She had to go check on her mom tonight. But 
I'm, I'm not sure how much she watches it because she's usually playing on her phone too at the same time, so it may just be background noise, but I'm going to tell you something, that show drives me up the wall. And the reason is because I've seen dance moms live <laughs> in church. It can happen. I know what's right for my kids. I know what my kids need. I know. I've, I, I've been worshiping. I've, I've, I know this is right. Miss Zebedee knew it was right too. And if Mr. Zebedee was alive, he might have been right there with her because men, men can be just as pridefully ambitious. Men can be just as prideful. I'll tell you, it's easier to get that way about our kids than it is about ourselves. It is. They were completely wrong. So they allowed some distance to develop between them and Jesus. It was already there before Jesus started walking away from them on the road to Jerusalem. It was there because they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest instead of who was going to be the servant. We know that this was in their hearts because when it came time to pick up the basin and the towel and wash feet, not one of them would do it. It was left to the master. We know they were drifting in their relationship with Jesus. And of all times, at this time, of all times, it's interesting that their impure motive, their pride and ambition intruded its way into their worship of the Lord. And that can still happen for all of us today. Say, what, what do we need to learn from this? What do we need to take away? Well, you know, if it could happen to James and John and their mom and maybe even their dad, uh, it can certainly happen to us. We're not immune. And uh, we can make up our mind what we need, what we think we need, what's right, what's the right thing to do, and, and take it to Jesus, bow a course before him. <laughs> that makes it all kosher. And uh, we put it in front of him. And ask him to make it happen. We can do it. But don't be surprised if we hear that whisper in our soul that says, you don't know what you're asking for. One preacher said, a lot of our problems in life come about because we don't get what we ask for. He said, the rest of our problems come around because we do get what we ask for. I know this. Jesus Christ knows what we need. He knows what's best. And when we receive him as our Savior, he comes to live inside of us. And the greatest question any of us can ever ask is, Lord, what will you have me to do? It's a dangerous thing for us as his children to let ourselves get a distance between us and Jesus. Stop listening to him. Stop spending that time in the Word and in prayer seeking Him and seeking His will. If it can happen to James and John, it can happen to Rich and all of us. Maybe tonight there's someone here that you don't really know what it's like to have Jesus living inside of you. You'd like to know. You don't know what it's like to have a relationship with God. I want you to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. 
He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day exactly as he said. You see, he not only said it, he went out and did it. They're going to kill me. They'll bury me. After three days, I'll be back. He was. He was. He did exactly what he said. And he did that to demonstrate that he had the power over death, that he had the power to give life. And he gives that to whoever calls on him. That's the message that he gives us. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You say, how then can I be a child of God? We have to understand that we're sinners. Jesus saved sinners. If you're one, then you've got that one covered. But there's a part of us that only sees that under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're feeling that now. Something moving in your heart, convicting you of your sins. But you see, Jesus Christ longs to forgive you. He's already paid the price. And if you'll receive him as your Savior, he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll take up residence in your life. He'll be your Savior. You'll be his child. Would you receive him tonight? Let's stand together.